Hi, how's it going, everyone? And welcome to the Debutify podcast, the premier e-commerce podcast brought to you by Debutify. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and today I'll be talking with Marin Ishvinich, the senior media buyer for Inspire Brands Group. For the past seven years, Marin has gone from freelance contractor to head of performance at Inspire, a boutique agency working with a handful of selected clients while providing services for paid social advertising. Aside from the agency, he's also a partner at a few in-house brands he helped scale and then exit. In the last 12 months, he spent over 40 million dollars on Facebook ads. Today, Marin and I will talk about maximizing the potential of Facebook ads and media buying as a whole. Here's my conversation with him now. Welcome to the show, Marin. How are you doing? Thank you, Alex. Pretty good. It is early morning here in Croatia, but I'm ready for this podcast. It is here too. It's about 5 a.m. here right now. You know, while we get started with the softball, what is your primary role for Inspire Brands Group? So I'm head of performance Inspire. That means that I'm kind of taking care of like other media buyers that are handling the client's ad accounts. I do work on some of the ad accounts, some bigger ones that are spending, I don't know, 20, 30K a day. I'm still kind of in the trenches in the ads manager, but mostly I'm kind of the the guy that's creating a strategy for a client that is kind of on the call and that is helping our media buyers to execute that strategy. And you were a, a senior media buyer in the past, correct? Yeah, I mean, I still am a media buyer, but as I said, just for those kind of like larger clients that I started with them working with when they were spending like just a couple of K. So kind of we scale them to kind of like 10K, 20K, 30K. So we work with them for like several years. So it kind of makes sense to continue to work on those ad accounts. But I'm kind of like slowly transitioning myself from the role of the media bar because like you're limited with the time. You can just do a handful of ad accounts at a certain point. So that is why I'm kind of like evolving to the role of strategists, doing these calls and talking with the clients. No, that's great. And I read definitely not doing like a couple K anymore. You're pretty active on Twitter. I think you give a lot of like really insightful strategies for free on Twitter. You know, you've spent over $30 million on Facebook advertisements throughout your career. No, no, it's, it's exactly like this year. So like this year, I spent over 30. This year, you spent $30 million yeah. <laughs> on Facebook advertisements. That's that's even more insane to me. So what, you know, what are some of the strategies that allow such lucrative spending? And how do you maximize the efficiency of you know, such ads? So I would say that like, uh, you have to have like a proven market fit. So basically, we usually take on the clients that usually have a proven market fit. So we are just there to kind of like amplify their ads because like it's easier this way. When you have like a client that like is struggling to get any traction, it's hard to scale. There could be so much things that are kind of like not aligned. Maybe don't have like right email sequences. Maybe their conversion rate is bad. But when you have like something dialed in, we are there kind of like to put the fuel on the fire and to scale it. I would say that apart from market product market fit, great product is one. Like definitely that is kind of like the biggest factor in having success on Facebook ads. When you have a great product, it's like everything is easier. Then we can play with the different offers. Potentially like there can be buy a product, get a free gift, buy one, get one, stuff like that. But in terms of like Facebook ads, proper structure is kind of like a foundation. So you need to kind of like always use conversion campaign because Facebook is pretty good at giving you what you want. If you optimize for video views, you will get only people that will watch your video. If you optimize for add to cart, you will get only people that will add to to your cart, but they would not end up buying. 
We want always, we will always want conversions. That's why we optimize for purchase. We separate our campaigns in like three or four different levels. So basically level one is prospecting. Those are people that never heard of you. Then we have re-engagement. Those are people that watch certain percentage of your video or engage with your ad. And then we have website visitors. And then we have fourth layer is existing buyers. So you want to treat those segments of audience differently. For someone who never heard of you, you want to kind of like show a product demonstration video. You, you want to show how the product is working. What are some benefits? Then like in the re-engagement phase, someone potentially watched the video, but he's not convinced it would work with him. So potentially you will show him, I don't know, a testimonial video or a review video that like someone else already bought the product and he had like, he benefited from buying that product. Then potentially someone could click on that ad landed on your website, but he would potentially not ended up buying. We don't know what's stopping him for buying. So in that segment, we want to kind of like change our messaging to be focused more on the objection handling, potentially tackle that we are offering free shipping, fast shipping, potentially give a discount. So basically in what different level of funnel the customer is, you want to treat him with different messaging and with a different creative. What I'm hearing you say is you got to attack the beast from different angles, you know, if you want exactly. get as many conversions as possible. Aside from Facebook or, or you know, meta as, as they're referred to, what are the other media buys that you see an uptick in? Yeah. So I would say that like Facebook is still the king, at least a channel that is generating the demand. So we have Google that is capturing the demand. So basically it's hard to get like someone new at your website unless they are searching for something new on Google. So like Facebook is generating the demand uh, and Google is capturing it. Like Facebook still has, is still most robust. It has it still has like most data about the user. We are still seeing the best results on Facebook. What I would say, like Snapchat was okay, maybe two, three years ago when it started, it was kind of like a fun new channel, but they had kind of like problems with their attribution because a lot of the uh, conversions were viewed through conversions. So basically Snapchat would claim that sale happened from the Snapchat ad, although like people did not interact with, with the ad. Pinterest is a kind of like good fit for like only small niche, like some of the clients that are kind of like that fit organically on uh, Pinterest. But I would say kind of like TikTok is definitely on the uprise, especially kind of like in the last year, more people are kind of like on TikTok. They are spending more time on TikTok compared to Facebook. The users, the content is both educational and entertainment in the like same scenario. And like we definitely see some success with TikTok ads, uh, especially for kind of like low priced items because it's hard to get like someone to buy a product out of the TikTok ad that is kind of like over 150 or something like that. So definitely that sweet spot is, I would say, between like 30 and 70, uh, where we find most success with TikTok ads. Interesting. Uh, I haven't heard Pinterest lately, but I, I, yeah. I believe that it could be pretty lucrative to niche services, as you mentioned. What about in the opposite direction? So, you know, what are the techniques or media buys that you're seeing less return on or that you would probably recommend that businesses or brands to probably stay away from nowadays? So I would say that like since the iOS update, which kind of like affected the whole landscape. And that's uh, the iOS 14.5 update, yeah, correct? exactly. Okay. Yeah. Since that update, users have option to kind of like opt out of tracking. That is kind of like making 
things harder, both for us advertisers and then potentially affecting the users uh, and the ads that they are seeing. So like people are saying like ads are annoying, but like for me, ads are annoying only if they are not relevant. If I want to see something that I'm interested in, like it's not annoying to me, it's kind of like beneficial for me. So since people can opt out, our retargeting is kind of potentially affected because we could potentially show an ad to a user that already bought. So that's one thing that kind of we are having some struggles with. Uh, The other thing, like again, due to the iOS, lookalike audiences are kind of uh, affected because Facebook has less data to work with. Its ability to kind of like find those kind of similar people is affected. And honestly, we are we mostly stopped using lookalike audience and the iOS uh, update. Interesting. Uh, that's very interesting. And I know that um, since you are so active on Twitter, you kind of post what you've been learning throughout the process. I find that extremely helpful. And, and it seems that people um, are engaged with it. And I wanted to ask if, you know, the last two or three weeks from about Black Friday to Cyber Monday, if there's anything during that time that you have learned that you'd be willing to share with our audience. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Black Friday and especially like Q4 is kind of like the biggest event for any media buyer and for any kind of like DTC client. There are some clients that kind of like earn, I don't know, 50% of their revenue only in November. Majority of our clients started early with their offer. So as we are approaching Black Friday, the CPMs are increasing because like even the people that are not advertising usually, they want to start advertising during Black Friday because it's a great chance for them to kind of like get good results and get cheap clients. I would say that the brands that started earlier, so like mid-November with early Black Friday offer or something like that, they had most success with because they kind of like captured those customers earlier. That's one thing. So basically start earlier. The second thing is like create a bundle of your product. So basically, if you do just discounting, you're kind of like eating your margins. But if you bundle, I don't know, two, three of your products, even though you offer a discount, you're increasing your AOV. So your margins are not affected so much. So definitely brand that started earlier and brand that kind of like combined it with uh, uh, bundling did, did best. What I would say, what was surprising this year, that like CPMs were not so high as expected. So like last year, we had like crazy high CPMs. We expected same this year, but luckily that did not happen. Obviously, conversion rate was higher. So we managed to squeeze kind of like most out of our uh, retargeting and existing buyers audience. So that was a great technique. So basically, you're building your retargeting audiences the whole year. And when it times like for Black Friday offer, you want to retarget to them. You want to kind of like show your offer. So that worked pretty well because we saw like even with a smaller budget, we saw pretty high returns. And then like thing that I would that I would say worked best during Black Friday was Advantage Shopping Plus campaign. That is a new feature that Facebook introduced like maybe a couple of months ago. It relies more on the AI and the automation. You don't have like so much nuances to pick on the ad set, ad set level settings. It is just kind of like you pick demographics and you pick country and Facebook kind of like suggest what are some of the ads uh, that potentially could work uh, great based on some of the, we don't know exactly what parameters. It's kind of like a black box, but that definitely work best for majority of our clients. So basically Facebook is kind of like getting better they were kind of like pretty hit with the iOS, but this new feature 
it kind of like worked on all of my accounts. I'm pretty excited about uh, continue to use it. That's awesome. That's that's very insightful. And and what I'm hearing you say is, you know, start early, target, retarget. And, you know, I've heard in past interviews that you've done that, you know, CPMs have gotten more and more expensive. So you actually were, what I'm hearing you say is lucky that it wasn't as expensive as you expected. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, they did increase, like if you compare November to October, or if you compare last week of November to the first week of November, they did increase, but not to the extent they were- The margin wasn't as large. Year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. No, that's that's very fascinating. And, and you know, speaking of, of margins, you've also- you know, stated in the past that maximizing efficiency for a brand isn't isn't just about scaling winners anymore. It's also about cutting losses early and cu- cutting losses as early as possible, really. So, you know, how do you determine when to cut your losses on an ad set or, you know, when not to? Yeah. So basically, that's that's a pretty good question. Based on the data that kind of like client provides and based on their margins, we have a hard number that says like, what is our target loss? Some clients want to be profitable on the first sale. So they want to kind of like hard number. Some some clients, they know they kind of like can afford themselves a higher CPA because they are counting on the LTV and people buying again and again. So basically, we can afford ourselves to spend more, potentially lose on the first sale because we know that user will buy like two, three more times. So basically, that's kind of like more most important number which we look in the in the ads manager. So we make our decisions based on the ad set level, but like if we are kind of like above that metric, we increase the budget. Basically, we scale. If we are not, we enter the ad level and we kind of like check how each individual ad is performing because sometimes you could have facebook spending money on some ad that is not getting the good returns but there's kind of like second or third ad that didn't spend so much but is having good returns so we want to kind of like turn off that biggest spender with bad results and keep the other active so basically that way you are minimizing the losses you're kind of like checking whether there is kind of like some losers on the asset level that will kind of save you some money obviously you want to kind of like uh turn off some of the ads that have like i don't know two three x your average cpc because like even they even if they did not spend much because you know it's hard to be it would be hard to be profitable uh, with that CPC. So basically, there are some early metrics, early indicators and soft metrics that we are looking. We are looking cost per add to cart because that's a pretty good early indicator whether the ad will kind of like generate the sale. We know what is kind of like average percentage of people that add to cart ended up buying. So we know what is our target cost per add to cart and then we can kind of like make a decision whether it makes sense to keep this ad active or not. Also, if we are using video, we are we are checking some soft metrics like thumb stop ratio or hold rate hold rate ratio so basically thumb stop ratio is kind of a custom metric that tells you how many people uh, out of which your ad got served how many people watch 3 seconds because attention span is getting shorter especially with the tiktok so people are kind of like not even watching the uh, the whole video. So basically, if I if I see that only ten percent of people watch three seconds, I know like something is wrong at the beginning. So I want to ch- do a, another variation to increase that hold ratio. I would uh, sorry that thumb stop ratio. I would say that like 
25% is a pretty good indicator that you have a strong hook. But if you have a strong hook, then you want to kind of like get people to watch the rest of your video. So we check a hold rate. How many people that watch three seconds watch at least 15 seconds or 75% of the video? That gives us a pretty good indication whether people are kind of like interested in the video. Because sometimes you could have some kind of clickbaity hook that says that promise something unbelievable and then people kind of okay this is interesting but then then you do not provide value and they stop watching so basically we are watching how people are interacting with the video after they interacted with the video whether they added to cart and like how often and obviously how how it is affecting our cpa and then for ROAS. ROAS is obviously the most important metric but you want to check those early indicators because that's a sign that potentially you can cut some of the losers even earlier. No, that's all extremely valid advice, especially in the video age that we live in. You know, I don't, I don't know how many times I've seen what feels like a very clickbaity video that's about three minutes of content stuffed in a 20-minute video because that's what the algorithm likes, you know, is it, it likes a lot of fillers sometimes, despite the fact that I don't. <laughs> so... I wanted to ask you about, you know, search engine optimization more specifically. So I think it's pretty evident that search engine optimization is an important tool in e-commerce marketing for a brand. And you you know, you're a bit of an expert on the subject, I would consider more, more than I am. What advice do you have for entrepreneurs that are less familiar with SEO and how to get the most value from it? So I would not say that I'm an expert like in SEO. I'm an expert, I would say, in paid social, especially in Facebook ads. But like, you know how they say you have to be like a T-shaped marketer, kind of like know everything about all the other channels, but then like specialized in one. So I know a bit like about SEO. It is important to kind of like have a lot of the articles that are kind of like speaking about the topic that people are searching for. So you don't want to have like a blog post that is just talking about the product. You want to have a blog post that is talking about the problem and how to solve that problem, even without like offering your product as a solution. It can be kind of like mentioned, but focus doesn't need to be around the product. It needs to be kind of like more educational style. That would kind of like get you more clicks because when you check the SEO, most people are like kind of searching how to something, how can I do something? So basically, if you provide the value in terms of the education and actually explain how to resolve a problem without mentioning that your product, you could get quite a traffic organically from the search engines. Also, having those backlinks. So basically, if you're connected with uh, kind of like some publications that are featuring your article somewhere, that helps because that's a sign that other authorized pages are kind of like recommending you. Facebook on that as a sign of quality content. So I would say with, in terms of the SEO, you want to kind of like write the content on the like specific search terms that is most educational. Most educational, solid advice. Now, what would you consider to be the most important factor in the success of a direct-to-consumer e-commerce brand? Ooh, that's, that's a tough question. I would say that like definitely the product product can, can kind of like either make or break your your store like I saw like heaps of brands that think they have like a product that is kind of like awesome and people would like it but if the people are not interested in there's no need for the product 
like you could do all of the researches like and all of the kind of like fancy marketing and uh, put like a lot of the money but if there's no need for the product like nobody will buy it so like product and the product market fit is definitely kind of the most important uh, factor in terms of the success of a B2C brand. The product, and and speaking of product, you know, our, our listeners can't see this, but you're actually sitting in front of two um, beautiful soccer jerseys and uh, a logo for your new brand, Football Supplements. Would you like to um, explain that to our listeners a little bit? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I would say it's a, it's a football because we call it football and the name of the brand is Football Supplements. I know you guys are calling it soccer. But for us, it will always be football. So as I said, like I'm a head of performance at Aspire. We are a boutique uh, agency focused on paid social. But besides providing services of paid social, uh, we have few of the internal brands. And one of those is the football supplements. Uh, it is a brand that we started a couple of months ago because we noticed there's a gap on the market. So basically, there are a lot of products aimed for, I would say, bodybuilders, people that are going to gym, triathlon, athletes, marathon, and stuff like that. But there is no product specific for football players. Considering the football is the biggest biggest sport, and like most people are watching the football, there's most people playing, playing football, we saw opportunity there. So we created a range of supplements that are specific for a football player. So that those generic pre-workouts could help you kind of like pump more in the gym. But our products, they have some ingredients that can help you kind of like think clearer, have faster reaction, which is more important in the in the game of football. So we created a range of products. At the moment, we have four products. One is a pre-workout that you take before the game. One is a extra time energy gel, which kind of like you take on the halftime uh, to help you with your kind of energy levels. Uh, we have isotonic, uh, which helps you uh, kind of hydrate, being hydrate. And we have a recovery, which is kind of like post-workout formula, which help you kind of like replenish the things that you lost during a game because like football is a specific game you kind of like spent i don't know you ran 10 kilometers per game it's kind of very exhausting so you need to kind of like uh recover from that so those are our four main products uh besides that we are looking to add creatine multivitamins but these are the four that we uh initially launched uh we have a partnership with the Atletico Madrid, which is one of the 10, like I would say, best football clubs in the world. And we have some of the players like Ivan Rakitic, which is a Croatian uh, national football player as an uh, our ambassador. That's a really cool ambassador to have. And, and, you know, when it comes to football versus stuff like baseball or American football or stuff that the U.S. is more familiar, you're totally right. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. So you need products that you know, cater to that a little bit more. And, you know, to my knowledge, you've always been a a major football fan and that you actually were kind of considering going pro in that. Is that accurate? Could you kind of explain that a little bit? Yeah, that's accurate. I played football since I was like six years old. That was just about the time when Croatia won a third place at the World Cup 1998. So like the whole country was crazy about football. So, 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 so was I. So I started like playing with six years old. I played until last year. At a certain point, I was like almost went pro. I was like semi pro. I played in uh, second creation division, but like we just about like when I had some opportunities, I kind of like stumbled upon digital marketing 
and I had like more success with it. And we all know how like it is tough to kind of like get into that one percent of a professional player that can kind of live out of playing uh, professional. So I kind of like decided to go in this like digital marketing space. I still play like once or twice uh, a week with my friends, uh, but yeah, I'm not I'm not anymore uh, into like those professional waters. That's all right. So, you know, before um, we wrap up every episode, I like to ask professionals in the e-commerce space what they do to, you know, promote a healthy work-life balance. A lot a lot of professionals in this space work long hours and stressful hours and bring their work home with them mentally. And, you know, since you're no longer playing football, I'd like to know what you do in your free time. So I'm like pretty much a movie and serious buff. So I watch like lot of the lot of the series i mean besides that i still kind of like do i still kind of like go to play soccer football with with friends like twice a week and besides that i kind of i do some uh gym trainings like twice a week so i'm still kind of like taking care of my body because like i got used to it because like 20 years i was like doing training sessions every day sometimes two times a day so i still have that kind of like need to do a training i feel better uh, when I do a training, besides that, I kind of like try to have a regular sleep schedule that kind of like that is kind of like very important, especially when you kind of like have some intense working hours. But I kind of like try to manage to sleep at least like seven hours because like sleep is the best recovery you can get. So also I'm a man of routine, so that helped me to be kind of like in top of the everything. I like to have like proper sleep schedule. I like to do my training. I like to like check my emails. I like to optimize the ad accounts. So that helps me with kind of like, I feel better like when I'm in a routine. I definitely need a routine as well. I, I wish I was more disciplined, but it takes me a while to find a routine. But once I get it, it's extremely helpful. And, you know, I'm, I'm a movie buff myself. Maybe we'll have to um, get together and create our own little movie podcast or something. Yeah. Sounds like a plan. You know, before we wrap up, I just wanted to say, I really appreciate your time and Good luck with football supplements and and good luck to Croatia in the World Cup. You know, they just beat, you know, Japan this last week on a on a nail biter. And, you know, by the time this posts, who knows, they could have uh, taken the trophy home. So, you know, good luck to you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you for the kind wishes. Uh, I hope that like by the time this podcast launches, we'll be a world champion. And thank you for having me on the show. Absolutely. Not a problem. You have a good one, Marin. I'd like to thank my guest, Marin Ishtvanich, for joining me on the show. And tune in next week when I talk with Colby Flood, the founder of BrighterClick, about go-to-market strategies and creative branding. For more information about Marin, you can follow him on Twitter at IshtvanichMarin or connect with him on LinkedIn. And to learn more about Inspire, you can check out their website, InspireDigitalGroup.com. That's our show. Thanks for tuning in. And we hope you come back to find new episodes being published every Tuesday. Until next time. <laughs>